if I look back on my last, where I was when I first started 72 and signing it to where I am now, like I am a different person. I feel lighter because there's an ease in following your passion to do things. Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them, aka a purpose, and all we have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board, with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under-the-radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they first discovered their passion, how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. Today's episode is with Mallory Solomon. Mallory is the founder of Salam Hello, and I'm also lucky enough to have her as one of my clients. She's honestly the exact reason why I wanted to start an agency was to work with people who were following their active ingredients, and that's exactly what she's done. Mallory is an ex-advertising executive who's worked with some of the biggest names, such as Facebook, Trojan, Corona, 23andMe, and Halo Top, which, by the way, I am fully addicted to, so thanks, Mallory. Feeling completely unfulfilled during the later part of her career, she booked a two-week trip to Morocco to reconnect with herself and with a new culture. While she was there, she was shopping for textiles, as tourists do while they're in Morocco, and she realized the very broken system in which they operate on. Basically, brokers work in groups of four to five men and buy rugs from the women who make it for a fraction of what they're worth. They then sell it to the souks, who then sell it to the buyer in Marrakesh, so obviously the story gets lost in the pass down. Not to mention that the women aren't being fairly compensated for their material, their craft, and obviously their time that can be anywhere from eight months to over a year. Mallory created Salam Hello as a way to right this wrong. She's dedicated to meeting every artisan face-to-face to understand and share the story behind each piece, and most importantly, she makes sure that they're fairly compensated in the process. She's also committed to giving back to the villages that these women are from and donates 10% of her profits back to them specifically and provides them with resources that they're lacking. So with that, let's get into today's episode with Mallory Solomon. So I am here with Mallory Solomon. She is the founder of Salam Hello and also a client of mine. And I'm so pumped to have you here because the whole point of the podcast is to help people go after their active ingredient. And I feel like you recently went after your active ingredient three months ago, full time. Yeah. And yeah. I'm just like so pumped to have this conversation. So yeah. welcome to the Thank podcast. You. Thank you for having me. So I kind of always like to start by taking it back to where you're from, um, what you were like as a kid, and then kind of go through your career trajectory. Yeah, totally. So I'm from California. I'm the youngest. I have two older brothers, uh, which I think looking back on it made me, I, my, my oldest brothers, or my oldest brother is like the smartest human you'll ever meet. Um, which I think encouraged me to always like, I always, I had this massive, uh, figure to live up to. Um, but throughout my childhood, I wanted to like start a business always. I don't really know how, like what the original spark was, but, um, when I was a kid, I loved dipping bread into apple juice (laughs) (laughs) and my brothers would always make fun of me. 
And I remember one day I turned to them and I was like, just watch. One day I'm going to have a restaurant that only serves dips and it's going to be so <laughs> successful. And you making fun of me dipping my bread into apple juice is going to like get back to you. And so that was like the first <laughs> That was your for that was my <laughs> first thought about having a business. And then um, I watched a Jennifer Aniston movie and she lived in New York and worked at an ad agency. I think it was like the movie where she it, I think it's called Picture Perfect. Oh, my God. And yes. you have to have like she had she like faked having a husband or something. For some reason, I was like, yes, I'm going to be in advertising. Oh my God. <laughs> and. I must have, I must have been like a early teenager and, um, yeah, from that moment on, I was like dead set on working in the ad industry. Um, so I went to college in Santa Cruz, uh, because I'm a California girl, like UC was like, I had to go to a UC school. So when I was like ready to graduate, I, uh, Thousand Oaks is where I grew up and it's, I always consider it a small town, but mm -hmm. it's really not that small. But I really wanted to live in a city. I didn't want to go to San Francisco because I was, like, too close to Santa Cruz and, like, not my total vibe. And L.A. just didn't feel like a city to me. It was, like, where I would go shop at malls when mm -hmm. I was a kid. And my oldest brother was here. So, once again, following in his footsteps, I moved to New York without no, without any job, any friends. Like, I, lived on, yeah, I lived on my brother's couch you for really three months. You really wanted that Jen Aniston <laughs> yes. um, I wanted that picture-perfect life. <laughs> and um, I applied to so many jobs, uh, all in the ad industry. Did you know at that point what type of role you wanted no in advertising? Okay. I, like, was – I, I – actually accepted a job at a pharma ad agency to be a project manager. And that day, my first company called SSNK called me and they're like, do you want to come in for an interview? And I was like, listen, I just accepted this job. So I don't know. They're like, just come in. Like, it will just be quick. And I was like, okay, fine. So I went down. It was in the financial district, went up to the 30th floor and I walked out of the elevator and I was like, holy shit, this is New York. You could see the three bridges and like that office sold me. Um, and I remember the first interview, I was like, listen, I accepted a job, but I really want to work here. So if you can, if, if you can offer me a job, like within 24 hours, I'll take it. And I, they did. And honestly, my life would have been so much different. I w started working as an assistant in like the strategy department um, but not only that, I started with this girl named Mai, um, and we became fast friends and sh she is the reason that I am friends with every, all of my friends in New York. So she introduced me to her girlfriends who are, went to Northwestern. One of the girls from Northwestern was dating this guy from NYU. And so my, now my friend groups are Northwestern girls and NYU oh my people. God. So like without, if I would have taken that other job, it's like, just everything happens for a reason, you know? It's so crazy how, like, those decisions really yeah, dictate. Yeah. And you don't see it then. You probably don't see it for, like, Not five years. Not at all, yeah. But then, like, and I'm sure that, I, I mean, we'll get to it, but I'm sure that so many decisions that you made during your advertising life have led you to what you're yeah, doing now. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, so I was at SSNK for a while, but during that time, I continued to have, like, random thoughts. And I don't think I ever, like, put it together of, like, oh, I'm thinking about starting another business. Yeah. But um, I, there, there was always something that, like, I wasn't fully 
in on. And so I thought about- With advertising? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought about opening a taco stand once. I lived in Greenpoint before Greenpoint was cool. Um, and You're it, just ahead of the trend. Yeah, and not a big deal. Uh, Greenpoint and what? what is it? Franklin? Or no, whatever. I don't- I'm definitely ahead of the trends because I don't know the street names. But there was, like, no drunk food by the pencil factory, which I think is, like, Franklin and, and Greenpoint. And I had recently perfected a carnitas recipe. So I was like, I am going to rent a street cart and open a taco stand there, and I'll, I'll make a killing. And, like, I'm going to be the only place for people to eat once they're drunk to eat. Um, but I didn't do it. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, something else in advertising like intrigued me or I was like going to quit and go freelance and try it. And then the, uh, someone was like, do you want to freelance for the Jonas Brothers one summer? Wait, what? <laughs> I did not know this part of the story. <laughs> so it was in, ad in advertising and for Allstate, it was like the first anti-texting campaign, X the text. And we had Jordan Sparks and then the Jonas Brothers as celebrity spokespeople. And it was right when I was about to quit. And they were like, just go on tour with the Jonas Brothers. It's all summer. You get to travel around the country. We're going to have like a all-state Exitex activation before each one of their tour dates. Casual. Yeah. So you're like, okay, I so will I put the like, taco cool. stand yeah. on hold. Yeah, and I was like, let's do it. I'll do that. <laughs> and then that like sucked me back into advertising and then I, um, I was like reached my end point at my first agency and I had an interview with this guy named Matthew Bull, who is like a legend in advertising outside of the States, but no one knows him here. He, he is an amazing human, um, and will charm anyone as soon as you meet him. And he was st starting his own agency here in New York and he wanted to know if I would, like, come and be his only account person. And I was like, yeah, cool. Let's How do it. How old were you then? Mm, maybe, like, 27, 28. And, I mean, I feel like that's kind of risky, no? Like, to yeah, go no, completely totally. start with someone that doesn't really have a huge footprint in the U.S. Like, totally. what was it about it that sold you? I mean, he he has an amazing pedigree. Um and I always liked being able to like touch a lot of different things and do multiple different um, parts of the overall ad world, like, and not just be an account person. Which um, I feel like naturally by way of the business, it gets lost. Like I feel like totally. if you're an account manager, you're an account manager, you yes. don't really necessarily touch creative yeah, or yeah. Really touch anything. Yeah. And I was interviewing at other places and I knew I was like, I didn't want to just stay in like one lane. I liked being able to see every part of the process. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess looking back on it, it was risky, but it felt it, – oh, you know what? He was backed by a big holding company. Cause ah, he, and, and I <laughs> the was safety like, net. Yeah, and I was like, okay, he has money. That's cool. And I accepted the job. I quit. I remember he called me, and he was like, hey, can we get coffee? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, this is great. He wants to talk to me before I'm starting, like – I'm so into it. And we went and got coffee and he was like, so I decided to buy back the entire agency and we're going to be independent and I don't want any holding company over the agency. And I was like, ah, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rad, rad. Let's. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? Um, Did but... he make you feel secure? Yes, totally. And till this day, he's like my mentor. That's amazing. He's, he's 
an amazing human. And like when I am in desperate need of advice, he's like the first one I call. Incredible. Um, so you had kind of a startup experience with this guy. Yeah, totally. And, and I was able to do everything that I wanted. And, and that's where I really, I think like honed in on this like entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and I was doing the budget, I was doing the cash flow, but I was also, also like strategically helping him grow the business. So I was, I was like, you know, I got, I, I was employee number five. And by the time we ended up closing down because he just wasn't passionate about it anymore. But by the end, I think we were like up to 25 employees. So and cool. I, it's, it's so hard for me to take credit about things. Cause I like to think of myself as a pretty humble person, but like, I was definitely the key to like bringing in the money. And like, when I first started there, they hadn't invoiced any client. And so they didn't have any cash flow coming in. So I definitely like helped make that company what it was. But I think like, so the the company ended up closing down because of his lack of passion, which was another like added lesson, I think, to the whole agency. Like I definitely, I honed in on my ability to like start a business, but his decision to close it, an agency that was making money just because he didn't want to go to, he wasn't excited to go to work every day. Like that's it, so powerful. Totally. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, damn, like you do need passion to you. And it's not like if what, what's that saying? Like if you love, if what you, you love, we do, do like, I don't, I don't believe, believe in that. that. Yeah. Yeah. It's something we talk about on the podcast a lot. Cause it's so loaded yeah. and like, it's so, there's so much pressure on everyone to find totally. it. So they feel that way. But like, even if you are working in your passion, you you definitely don't feel that every single day. Yeah. And like, I think that is so powerful for him to have felt it at such a degree yeah, that yeah. he knew that it was like not even worth yeah. showing up anymore. It definitely like it raised a standard to me of like what I maybe this is the wrong word, but the way I describe it now is like happiness. Like, you know, you're gonna go through a roller coaster of emotions, but like is your baseline are you happy at your baseline? And he wasn't at that time. And so Were you? Yeah. Yeah. I I loved I loved the 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 level of responsibility he entrusted in me. Um and it was awesome. It was fun to, you know, I felt like I had no idea what I was doing half the time, but I, if there's anything I know how to do because of advertising, it's like faking it until you make it, you know, and I was able to do that. And so I loved that. And, and the group of humans that came together from that agency, like were this like super weird dysfunctional family. And I think we'll always have some type of relationship together. Um, yeah, it was a it was a really good time. Looking back on it, I'm very happy it ended because I think I would have gotten like unhealthy and and I think I would have felt too because it was like my first thing doing it all. I think I would have felt like too connected to yeah. ever have left. Too emotional about it. Yeah. So that company folded. Yeah, and then I went to an agency called 72 and Sunny and ended up, you know, becoming the head of new business or business development for the New York office. 
with the thought that like one day I wanted to be a managing director of an agency and my like dream in life and what I told everyone that I wanted to do was like, I'm going to be a managing director of an agency and I'm going to open up a corner bodega because I fell and I still do. I still will be opening up a bodega at some point in my life. But like, I think a bodega is like the, the, a, pinnacle of what advertising is all about which is like this brand loyalty and brand love that you have for some something you will walk an extra block to go to the bodega that you like over the one that's closer and it's like how do you create that community and that love like that that is what like gets me excited and also I love grocery stores (laughs) um so I really wanted to do it and so like that was my dream I was like I'm gonna I'm working myself up I'm working my way up the career ladder this is great and then just like every day I woke up and I had like anger. Like I was just angry at, at my leadership team and then, and then the agency. And I felt like they weren't giving me enough responsibility. And then, and how far in to your time at 72 and sunny, did you start feeling that? Probably like a year and a half. I think it's also worth pointing out that I started at the, uh, the startup agency closed. I, um, went through a crazy breakup. I was dating someone for eight years. We lived together. So the startup agency closed. I, the, that my ex and I broke up probably like a month after that. I moved apartments and I started 72 and Sunny all within like two and a half months, which is a ton of change. And that's like what people insane. would call a Saturn return. <laughs> Have you heard of those? No. It happens in your late 20s, early 30s. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's yeah, when your yes. life basically goes up in flames yes. and you basically have to completely yes. like revisit every single section of yes, your life and start I, over. Yeah, I just turned 30. <laughs> it was insane. Brandon, you're looking at me like, I'm crazy. Have you heard of us? <laughs> no, it's true. And if you don't have it, <laughs> yes. If, I also read that if you don't have it when in like between 30 and 32, then you have it between like 60. It's like it. your Saturn returns happen like every 30 years or yep, something. I'm like so nervous. There's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like on the brink. We both are. <laughs> but it was also like, I ended up spending maybe, uh, what, four years at 72, three and a half or something. And they, it was, they were or are or wherever I am in the the process of that, like the hardest years of my life. Um, Were they satisfying or fulfilling in terms of what you were producing or just hardest in terms of everything? Like you didn't like anything about it? No, no, no. It wasn't, it wasn't that I didn't like anything. It was just like the amount of growth that I had to break through or figure out what was who I was as a human. Um, it, it was crazy. Like I, I had spent my entire twenties with my ex and really lost myself in that relationship and ended up, I think, making some decisions based off that relationship and not really in, interrogated what what I wanted to do and like what was right for me and and what was the hard thing to do like staying in advertising and continuing that journey was easy and I could leave Salon Hello tomorrow and find a job in in the agency world and it would be easier I would have a paycheck every two weeks like I would know how to do it with my eyes closed um, and I think the security of like being in a relationship with someone since I first moved to New York, it was like, why rock the boat? But there was just something that like, I had like an itch, you know, and like, I was stirring. I think, yeah, I had an itch in the relationship or we both did, you know, and, and we needed to break through. And then 
I, I think it took me, you know, three more years to realize that in my career because I've always loved to work. It's not like I like to be busy. I like outputting things and like I like I find joy in working. And so when I started going through this journey and like I wasn't finding joy in that anymore, I was like, what what is this? And and I unhealthily blamed, is that a word? I in an unhealthy way, I was like blaming the people I was working with and not wanting to look inward about like what was actually the issue. And I had a very hard year at work where I was super successful. Like I, we were winning so many clients and it was one of the best years of like the 72 New York office, but I didn't have a personal life. I was like, um, like living in New York and not experiencing it. I feel like when my friend, when I would hang out with my friends, like it was just like, what's new? And I would just talk about work, like, which is, I feel like when you know you need to change, but I didn't know that at the time. And, and, uh, I ended up taking a vacation, a two week vacation, which was like unheard of for me. Like I had no idea how to disconnect for two weeks, but I did. And part of that vacation was going to Morocco. And why Morocco? I was supposed to go to Portugal for two weeks and I was pitching 23 and me, I think. And they pushed the the final date and I ended up having to cancel that vacation. Like I had canceled three vacations that year, not because like my company forced me to, it like definitely encouraged it. But like, if I wanted to go, I would have gone, but I was just obsessed with like doing well in this job and thinking it was part of what I needed to do. And, and also like, I'm sure you were self-identified with it. Like if totally, it didn't succeed, yes, then you enough, yes. are not a my success. Identi- yes. That was my identity. A yeah. thousand percent. And so Portugal, so I was supposed to go to Portugal. Yeah. And it got canceled. And then I was like at my friend's birthday party talking to my best friend. And I was like, yeah, so I canceled Portugal. I need to figure out what I'm going to do. And they were like, Oh, we're going to Morocco. You should just come. And I'm like, Hmm. I was like, I've always kind of like wanted to go there. And so I went home and I booked a ticket. <laughs> like, and so I went to Morocco for a week and Portugal for a week. So I was like, I'll split the difference. And yeah, I mean, like I went there and, and fell in love with the country. I, and I, it's so hard still for me to like describe how I feel there. It just, it felt like I was at home. Um, that's so rare. I it's feel like so, it's and like, it's, I always, I like, I really want to question it, but I shouldn't, I guess. No, I think, I mean, clearly it's taking you to a very solid, healthy path, but I think that it, it is so rare for that to happen, especially in a culture that is so drastically different than the one that you grew up in and the one that you live day to day Yeah, to feel so strongly connected. I think is something that you shouldn't like, it's just like, it is what it is. No, totally. I mean, the other thing that's crazy is over the, that, that three year, four year journey, whatever I, I was on or am on, like. I really, sorry if this is too personal, but like I really honed in on like my anxiety and the level of anxiety I have like on a day-to-day basis is like out of control. And like a part of that journey was like dealing with that and understanding what, what that meant. And like all of the times previous of, of like, oh, that was an anxiety attack. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. And when I'm in Morocco, there's like my the temperature is lower. And like, that's how I, my, my therapist and I like talk about that a lot. Like, like it, 
lowers the temperature of, of my anxiety, which is like, holy shit. If you can find that, that's like amazing. And that doesn't mean that like every day and like, I don't, I don't know what anxiety is there. Like, but it, it, there's, there's something calming about it. And I don't, the only other time I like, I've never been, I was never brought up religious ever. Like I, my, my dad is Jewish. My mom was raised Catholic, but like never did anything. And, but I, I went to birth, I went on birthright and because it was a free trip to Israel. And also like I'm Catholic and I don't understand why they don't do that for us. Like, yeah, can no, we go to no. Rome? Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. what is, can someone start <laughs> totally. this? Totally. I mean, the cap, you guys have enough money. I don't want you to know? start it, but like, if I have to start it, I just don't understand. Like, I would really I, I like. I mean, it's it's, but it's crazy, man. Like, so I don't know if you've like heard about birthright trips, but like, it is. Have I heard of them? All of New York has gone on. No, a I know, trip. but like, it is it is so stereotypical and lives up to everything. Like halfway through the tour, they bring on the they bring on the soldiers, like half men, half women, and they at night you like just get drunk and like smoke hashish and like. <laughs> party with these Israelis and like they encourage you to hook up with them that's okay and this may be like wrong for me to say because I'm I'm not Jewish but whatever what I've heard is that like they are trying to match you up with oh a thousand percent okay from my trip three people moved to Israel like they won like the birth rate organization whatever it is like they got what they and so if you think that happened on my trip there has to have been that happens a lot yeah um, I mean, I definitely made out with an Israeli soldier. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it, you know. We're Amazing. still friends on Facebook. <laughs> hey, you hey Yossi. Every- <laughs> you stalking Yossi every yes. once in a while. <laughs> hey, Yossi. <laughs> Mal here. <laughs> um, no, but there was one night during that trip where you go in the desert um, to, like, the Bedouin tents. And, like, you all – you're – you disperse so you're by yourself I remember being alone in the desert and just like crying and I just like felt my my grandma who is was like I you know my person who like I look like my grandma like I just her like I love you're like one of her and she's one of you yes like Baba is my like she is the person that looks after me and I just felt her Morocco just like feels like that like it's like and maybe it's the desert and like there are like you know some people say that there's like magical things about desert life and I mean that makes a lot of sense though yeah 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 I mean yeah I feel Baba is the person that like looks after me always So you were in Morocco on this trip that you just did because you were kind of fed up with what was going on at 72 and traveled around like, like any tourist did. We went to Marrakesh and Fez and the desert and, um, everything about the country was like gorgeous. And I went textile shopping as one does (laughs) and got text, I got rugs for myself and for my brother. And as I was like, I mean, I was shopping and doing the whole thing, and it was, like, all men selling me these rugs. And I didn't even, like, really fully understand it as a tourist, but, like, I was like, I was like, I got it. I was like, okay, the women are making it, and then the men are selling it. Like, okay, I guess that makes sense. Um, and, and then so I got four rugs, two for my brother and two for me. 
all from guys. And I had this random conversation with, I had to FaceTime this rug person when I was buying a rug for my brother um, because this other guy's credit card machine wasn't working. And so he was using his neighbor's credit card machine, but it wasn't working. So he had to FaceTime this guy. And I was just like, I was joking around with him over FaceTime. That was it. And the next day, it was my last day in Marrakesh. And I was like walking in the souk. And this guy comes out and he's like, we FaceTimed. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, we FaceTimed. I was like, oh, yeah, we did, I guess. And he was like, come in. I, your energy over FaceTime was like insane. And like, there's, we're connected. And I was like, oh my God, this is so crazy. He's definitely trying to sell me something. <laughs> and I walked into the store and he was like, let me make you tea. Come look around. And I looked around and he made me tea and he was like, sit down. And I was like, listen, dude, I'm not going to buy anything from you. And he was like, no, 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 it's not about that. Like, I really just like, I, I like your energy. And I was like, okay. And we were talking and talking and I didn't buy anything. And, and at the end of the conversation, we were talking about he, he had a rug business and he was like, we should, we should work together. And I was like, yeah, okay, bye. I'm going to Portugal now. And I went to Portugal all by myself. So I went to Morocco with my two best friends and then Portugal by myself. And when I was in Portugal, I was like, what, did, what would that mean? What would, what would like doing rug things mean? He planted a seed. Yes. And then I got back to New York and um, started like research, just doing all this research. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to import rugs from Morocco. I was like, that's never been done before, even though it has <laughs> by a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. But I was dumb enough at that time, or not dumb, but I was naive enough in at that time to dive into it and I'm so happy I was naive because if I know what I know now I probably would have never done it but I was naive enough at the Why? time because I still have these moments now but I'm just like everyone does this Every, there are so many people that buy Moroccan rugs and sell them here like what is going on I I truly do believe I'm different um and I buy I buy it differently I sell it differently um, but there's so much education that needs to be done. Um, but no, that's what no one's doing. Yes, totally. A thousand percent. Um, but it's still like, I, I Something feel like question. I would have, yeah. But so, you know, I've, I had all these like business ideas growing. That's you know, what I wanted but, to ask you. I feel like when you have, when you have like this type of brain that like clearly you have had an entrepreneurial mm -hmm. itch your whole life and you've had different ideas, taco stand, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, dip situation. Yeah, yeah. I had a popcorn booth at one point. Popcorn point. booth, like hey. all these different things, like. Obviously, like at this stage in your life, like you actually had the means and, and capacity to be able yeah. to bring something to life. What was it about this business that you were like, you know what? I actually like I can yeah. pull a trigger on this one. Yeah, it's funny. I would so um, I would talk to my old trainer turned friend about this bodega all the time. And she was like, just write a business plan. I'm like, yeah, OK, how do you do that? How do I write a business plan? And I really I like. It's so hard to explain, but I got back from Morocco and like the business plan just like came out of me. It was just so easy to write it and like do all the research for it. And I, at, at the end of my like career and advertising, I was like, what is my skill set? Do I really know what I do? And 
I realized like I put together business plans I or I put together business plans all the time. Like that is what I was doing. Like I was pitching for a business and I was telling them what their strategic problem was, how we were going to solve it and how they were going to launch into the world to get new customers. And like, in essence, that's what I did. Um, and, and I listened to some Ted talk, I forget who it was, but it was like, you have to be in the right time or like, there's no such thing as writer's block. That's what it was. Like the writer's block isn't a thing. It's just like, it's like the right time for things to flow through. And sometimes it's not, you can't, it's not writer's block. It's just like your creativity isn't flowing. Yeah. Maguire and I read a book, um, the war of art uh-huh. and it's like about the muse striking and it's like you have to yes. show up for the muse to come yes. through you yes totally. but like when the muse is there you know it and like yeah. there's just no confusing yeah it. yeah and so that's how I that, it's really how I felt um and I ordered all these books and I was just like doing all this research and I put together like what I think is like was a good business plan mm-hmm. and so basically through all this research I found out that it is a fully woman made industry Women are the ones that are making these rugs. They are raising their children. They are running their entire household. They are the breadwinner of this entire country on some level, and they are getting no credit for it. And part of it is um, the, like, history and culture that they've had. They respect women, but I don't think they know how to, like, empower women. Um, and yeah, like I, you also, like, I started to realize that there was like this like magical power to these textiles, which you don't, I didn't know when I was shopping for them. And I don't know how many, like, I don't, I think that's something that like gets lost a little bit, but like every part of the process of making these textiles, like adds up to this bigger mission for them, which is like a, it, they, they consider the final rug, like a protection against for them and the house that's final, finally in like a protection against evil and every part of the process adds up to that. So like wool is considered lucky. They set up like looms as like a spiritual protection. The artisan starts every weave with a prayer that like it, God's supposed to look at or Allah's supposed to look out so that evil doesn't enter. She's supposed to make sure that evil doesn't enter between each thread, a hammer comb, which you use to like, press the wool together is designed to avert the evil eye. There's like evil eye symbols in the rugs. And that just like you, it just gets washed over when you're buying. Um, part it's such of, a beautiful process. Totally. It is. And it's such an art. Yeah. And these women can spend, you know, like I have one rug that a lady spent 17 months making. And the only reason she's selling it is because her husband passed away and she has three daughters and one is in university and she needs to help pay for it. And like she would have used it and kept it. But and like that work is like it has it's tells this whole story about the village and it's amazing. So but so I was doing all this research. Right. Uh-huh. And I was like, OK, what if I bought from the woman? And like for each rug, you understood who made it and I could tell her story through that weave because I was learning in that like they, the men come to them, buy these rugs, don't ask them anything, don't ask them how long it took, what went into it, how much should you price this rug to sell? They just, they take advantage of them all the time. So I was like, I wonder if I could go meet these women, but I was like unsure if I could, because I'm like, why hasn't that been done before? Right. 
And like, I'm sure you're wondering, is this like a, like against the culture? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I was like, are they not going to accept me? Is this not a solution me? for them? Yeah. Because it's just not something that they yeah. accept culturally. Yeah. And then I also had the thought like, okay, and then for part of the profit, I'll then reinvest it back into the community. And maybe like, it seems they, I know that they raise children as they weave. So maybe I'll help build a school, you know, next to the, next to the loom area. Um, and I had made part, you know, when I was in Morocco the first time I, we hired a tour guide to like take us to the desert. And so I reached out to him and I was like, Hey, I was curious if I could book a tour with you. This is my idea. Um, and I need to go meet some women and take me to the woman to <laughs> take me to the women. <laughs> and I thinking back on it, like, I was slightly scared. Like, I remember I gave my parents, like, my day-to-day itinerary because I was, like, going there by myself with, like, and I was going to be in a car alone with this Moroccan man and everyone, like, made me so scared to travel to Morocco by myself. And I was like, I'm going to be alone with with this guy for seven days going to these remote villages. Like, I think that's also worth noting that, like, a big part of the issue is that the women that are making these rugs are six to seven hours outside of Marrakesh where tourists are actually buying these rugs, which is why there's demand from the souks. So I think think that that's, like, the biggest, like, missing piece of the puzzle. Yes, yeah. So, like, you, you know... I didn't know this until recently, but Africa is distorted on maps. So, like, it looks when you look at a map that, like, the United States is the same size as Africa or something. Mm-hmm. But really, it like, the United States can fit inside Africa. It's a massive continent. Mm-hmm. But Morocco itself is, like, also a very big country. I mean, I guess it's the size of California-ish. But, but y- it takes a while to drive around. And because it, it's not, like... You know, you don't have, like, the, the 101 roads. or 405, yeah. you know, running right. through Morocco. Um, yeah, so, like, going to the, like, not even – the desert is, like, a two-day drive. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, like – yeah, you know, there's some women that are close to the cities, but, like, not a lot. Right. And The so, majority of the women that have been passing down this craft from generation yes, to generation are, are like, far. Are, like, six hours away from Marrakesh, yeah. Fez, yeah. Tangier, like... Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, like, you have to make a trip to Morocco just for that. If, if you want to see Morocco as well as see the women making it... That has I, to be a full yeah. trip for you. Yeah, yeah. So your tour guide was taking you through So my there. tour guide... So I told my... I told... Uh, Abdelatif is his name. <laughs> I was like, this is my thought. And and I had, like, some ideas of, like, where I would go. But he he also, like, it's – the country is beautiful. Like, the people there are just so welcoming and go out of the way for everyone. And, he, like, we found one woman because he goes to this – at the in one of the, like, places that you go visit when you're in Morocco is the Tota Gorge. And he went there and, like, there's this guy that always sells stuff there. And he was – he took a customer there or one of his tour guides and um, and he was talking to this guy as, like, the women were um, – the, like, couple were walking around the Tota Gorge. And he was like, yeah, my next trip is with this girl who is, like, trying to f- meet the women who make the rugs. And he was like, oh, my aunt does it. 
And he was like, really? Where is she? And he was like, oh, she's in this village. Like, you know, when you pass, you go like 10 minutes past the Total Gorge and then there's like two dirt roads. You make a left on like the third dirt road and then you go all the way up to the top and like that's where you'll, that's where you'll find her. So he remembered that. And like, so like, <laughs> so that's how I'm finding these women. It's like connection of a connection of yeah. a family member like it's I'm curious to know how they accepted you like when did you knock on their door and were like hey I'm looking to make your life easier and buy directly from you <laughs> yeah like the first family I met invited me in and um which I think is I think I lucked out and and because they're not all like that but the yeah. first family invited me in it was the um, Mabarka, who is the mom, and her two older daughters, and then two grandchildren that were there. And they were all weaving together except the kids. And they put the kids to work, and the kids made tea, brought out almonds, sweets, bread, and they were like, sit down, watch, let's talk. And we just talked to them for two hours. Um, didn't buy anything, um, but just talked. Because it was the first woman I ever met but I remember being like oh my god I can do this this is it and I took so that first house was when you decided like I'm gonna make a business out of this yeah I was like I can do it I can meet these women and I just I took and like they let me take all these photos of them and that's the other thing like you know some of them due to the religion do not like photos and that's a huge part of how you're positioning salam hello yeah yeah totally and so a lot of it is also like and Abdel Latif has taught me this, but like patience, like do not walk in and just start taking photos. Like mm-hmm. you're like, don't be a crazy American. Like yeah. get them. We sit down and talk with them. And like, I think the other thing that I learned in advertising and being like this biz dev person where I was always like meeting new people and I, I learned how to fake engagement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like even though, cause I was like learning these new businesses like every day and, and I, sometimes I had no idea what they were talking about, but I always had to make <laughs> eye contact and like pretend I really understood everything. And that helps me so much when these women are talking because I, they don't even, they don't speak Arabic. They speak Berber because they're Berber women. And so that is a whole different language that is so hard to understand. And, but I just look at them and I nod along and like, I follow other people's reactions. So if everyone else is laughing, I'd like smile and like, not, I, I I really just like want to be a part of the culture. So it's not like, yeah, but but I think that really helps. Like sometimes they ask Abdella T if they're like, oh, does she know how to speak? Because like, yeah. And he's like, no, no. But I, it's, it. Because you play it off like you can. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also just like it, I think it makes them feel like comfortable and like I'm not trying to take advantage of them. Um, but yeah, I remember, so I, I left that family and I was like, I didn't buy anything. And I was like, oh man, I feel so bad. They offered me so much. And I walked, I went back in and I offered them money. And they're like, no, we can't take it. And I was like, no, no, no. Like you gave me tea and sweets. And they're like, no, no, no. You didn't buy anything. We're not. You're not going to take it. And so we left. And I was like, man, I really want to go back to those women. Like I want to figure out how I can help them. And I've now been back like three times. They're making a custom piece for me. I bought stuff from them. I talked to one of their neighbors like on WhatsApp all the time. Uh, so they're like now very much embedded in song. Yes. Hello. Yes. I want to take it back to when you 
basically like spit out this business plan. Yes. And you were still working full time. At what point did you decide that it was something that you wanted to leave the business to actually like go after? Yeah. Um, the beginning of this year, so January, like I decided I needed to leave advertising. I just like it wasn't exciting. I couldn't I couldn't get motivated to do it. Yeah. And I just wanted to try some I wanted to try this. And I wanted to do it full time. Like I don't I, you know, I I I totally probably could still be doing both. Maybe, I don't know. Some days I think that and some days I don't. But yeah, I don't know. I just wasn't happy. Yeah. And like that this like three this like journey I've been on over the last few years, I think like has really made me strive to like find my happiness. Mm-hmm. And like anxiety equals depression and I think it was like not worth it. Yeah, it's I was the study paycheck is not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's not worth those late nights I was I it was like I remember I was I maybe this was like the moment I'm not really sure but I was watching like Hulu or something and the Chevron ad came on it was like go to chevron.com backslash mentorship and submit who your mentor is and I was like what does Chevron have how did they have a right to talk about mentorship and then I was like I know that some account executive was up until 4 a.m because this image of one of the you know fake mentors was like color corrected incorrectly and they wasted this entire night dealing with that and what like 5,000 people will go to that site I'm like what what am I what is advertising and like as soon as I couldn't stop questioning that and as soon as I think you can't stop questioning it questioning that you have to like you have to do something else so I think obviously you're entire life, your whole past, your advertising past, all of that has definitely led you to where you are today. And Mm -hmm. I think knowing you, you're a natural storyteller. Like that is what you are. Yeah. What would you say aside from the storytelling part of advertising is something that you think you could not have done Salam Hello had you not known that from your past? So I was, I think I was lucky in the sense of like, I, I knew how to get stuff done. I, I knew how to like be a jack of all trades. And I've all, I always wanted that, which is why I went to that startup, right? Like I, I, if we didn't have a producer, I knew how to like at least do the beginning things to be a producer. Or I knew how to like, it, I, I know how to fake it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that doesn't mean that I'm confident in it always, but like I can at least pretend that I know how to do it. And I think that's what helps me. Like I don't have a photographer that goes to Morocco with me. Like I take all of my photos in Morocco. Which are insane. But I I went, I, I never thought I could take a photo. Like I remember in, in high school, I went to a community, I took a community college course in photography and like I think I, I don't know if you can fail those classes, but I remember like <laughs> not doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have, I mean, my ex is a filmmaker and, and I think again, like losing myself in him, I always was like, okay, well he knows how to light it. I don't know how to take a photo. <laughs> and yeah, I mean like. I you st- did know. Yeah, yes. And yeah. you have been doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still like. It's really, it's hard for me to be like, yeah, I guess I do know how to take photos. You do. I mean, go guys, go to thesalamhello.com. <laughs> yeah. And the Instagram. I mean, the pictures definitely look professional. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. So the whole point of the podcast came from 
me talking to my friends and like an internal kind of battle always like I love what I do but I I always do I'm always questioning like Mm -hmm. is this client something that I'm super passionate about is this something that I can get excited about um and the whole point is for people that are currently employed or want to go out on their own um to help them like ask themselves the right questions on what to on what to look for when deciding what that thing is for them so what and if kind of seems like this came to you like when you went to Morocco it kind of like happened but what would you say to someone who is looking for that who is like actively feeling like I am not passionate about what I'm doing right now and I would love to wake up every morning excited to do something what piece of advice would you give them I mean I would say just it will come like it just like when I feel like I'm talking about anxiety and depression it's a okay. lot, but like when you are really down, you feel like you'll never be happy again. And I think that's the thing. Like you feel like you're, you'll never find your passion or something. It will. If, if you try enough, like read as many different things as possible. Like try to immerse yourself into different things that you thought you would never want to do. I, I never allowed myself to think think I was a creative because in the advertising world I wasn't I was like the business person and even in my family my dad's an artist my one of my brothers is an amazing writer my other brother was like really good at math but then has become an artist too and I'm like I just I don't know how to draw I can't sing I'm like just like I don't have any creative it's kind of like self-protection to like not call yourself a creative so that no one can judge you based off of yeah and just like let be vulnerable and like try to let stuff in and and i it will you, you will be able to find the passion somehow hopefully i mean yeah what is your hope with salam hello cuz right now the company is pretty small boutique yeah um in your idea of success and something that you would be completely fulfilled with what like what does that look like yeah for you? i think i'm still trying to figure that out like the the last time – so I was just in Morocco um, and I was traveling around to these like really unseen villages and like I loved it. It was so great. And I remember thinking – I was like I never thought that like I wanted to do something that like really involved travel and like – but maybe I do. I, I think I see – my dream is that Salam Hello is successful. I don't see like it ever being like a brand that is going to like – be bought by someone like a big company and that's fine I'm you cool don't with want that. that I mean I don't not want that I just don't know I maybe it will get to that point I can't I kind of see Salam Hello as like always kind of not being boutique but like I, the intimacy of meeting these women is very important and it's in the DNA of the company yeah so and, I, and I I right now don't understand I guess how you can scale it at and such a big level maybe you will be able to and I'll figure that out and and it will happen but I see it being like a one part of a a bigger thing that I'm going to do of like of starting other businesses or doing other things and but with Salam Hello being like the thing I I I don't have any desire to try to start something else right yeah. now. Like, I love what I'm doing. Um, so what is your active ingredient? <laughs> oh, man. I've thought about this because <laughs> I knew I was coming here. Um, what is my active ingredient? Like, I, And it doesn't even have to be, like, Salam Hello related. It can just be 
a life question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it what it's finding um, like a calmness, which to me equals happiness. Yeah. Um, and that means passion. Like, I don't know. I guess calmness leads to happiness. It leads to being like happy in your passion. Does that? I don't. Yeah, it does. Like, I don't know if that makes sense yeah. at all. So readjusting your life to find that calmness. Yeah. And, and it's not, yeah. Yes. Like I, yeah, I just, if I look back on like my last, where I was bef- when I first started 72 and signing it to where I am now, like I am a different person. Like I feel lighter, um, because like there's a there's an ease in following your passion to do things. I don't know. Do, I do you think that? that? I you, completely like, agree. I think that like what you were saying about the flow happens so much na- more naturally. Yeah. More naturally. Um, I think that opportunities start coming to you versus feeling like you're going against the grain yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, and it's that's exactly it. It's like a a sense of calm and like it's if you really take it back to it, it's really just like a gut instinct. Yes, and if totally. you're not, if your gut's not in it, you know. Yeah. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, which I really respect your old boss for identifying that his gut was no longer yeah. in something and, and pulling the trigger on that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like kind of being comfortable, like, and just, I like, you know, when, when you like go from your twenties to your thirties, <laughs> like Saturn <you>, return, <laughs> Saturn return. No, like you. I at least for me, when I went from my twenties to my thirties, like I got comfortable in saying no and like being like, you know what, I'm gonna hang out by myself. I don't feel like I need to, like. You think that comes with confidence? Yes, totally. Yeah, I mean, I remember. Yeah, totally. Like confidence in yourself. Yeah, at least for me, confidence in myself. Yeah. Like when I was dating my ex, I like. To- just wasn't I don't know who I was and when I wasn't doing something I would get so I had so so much FOMO and like what is everyone else doing like and and now you're living for you yeah totally and I'm just like I, you know what I'm tired I'm gonna go home or like it's it's yeah it's crazy so I always close out the podcast by asking, what is your literal active ingredient? As in, is it something that you have to have every single day? Do you meditate? Do you have to drink coffee? Like what is something that is like something that is integral to your life that you can't go a day without? Yeah, I definitely have to drink coffee, but I don't think that's my active ingredient. <laughs> and like an iced coffee, that's what I miss the most in Morocco. We mm. don't have ice. No one really lives by ice cubes. Bring some ice cube like holders. No, oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to bring a French press next time. Oh, yeah. But um, it's, I think I, I think it's laughing. Like I, I need to always laugh or, or yeah, yes. That's my favorite answer that people yeah. give. So yeah. amazing. Well, thank you so much for, thank you for being on the podcast. Me. Where can everyone find you? Salamhello.com or underscore salam or yeah, underscore salamhello underscore. They didn't have salam hello. <laughs> follow her guys she's incredible and then mallory but with underscores after (laughs) every single letter because instagram i had mallory i was a very early instagram user no way i had an og account mallory instagram kicked me off no idea why and no one can get it back i've even asked all my facebook clients if they can help me so messed up but like someone someone like bought my og account and i can't get it back i can't believe that they did that without your consent 
It's and I, that you didn't get paid for it. It is insane. Well, I would sue. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone's right. out there. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please take a second to rate and review us. And for more inspiration and quotes from the episode, check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient.